0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Nerdwide Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Haynes, with my good friend and co host. You know, I don't know what your um, your call sign would be, uh, Chris Rivers. We've got to think about that.
1: Yeah, we do.
0: Because, you know, I would like to be the assassin. I just think that's a cool yeah. call, call sign, and, you know, that's what my gamer tag is on everything. Now, I mean, your Twitter is Mav, you know, TN7. So technically, this movie's about you. And in a sense, you know, <laughs> that we're reviewing tonight. So, I mean. Uh, maybe. Oh,
1: I don't I'm know. Should have thought about that beforehand. He, I'm sure he there's quizzes made, somewhere. <laughs> he he, he kind of makes some ballsy maneuvers that I don't know if I would be able to make. And so. I,
0: listen, I wouldn't even get in the, in the seat. So I'm just going to, I would not be behind the, the stick or any of these things. And I don't do heights. So I'm
1: cu- I am curious how much of that Tom Cruise, I know he wasn't you know rolling and stuff like that on his own. But right, I'm sure he was in the cockpit doing some flying.
0: That scares me because I think I read somewhere like he a lot of those things it's all practical like a lot of it's not CGI. Right. And knowing how much of a a I don't know, daredevil a, a daredevil that Tom Cruise is, it would not surprise me if he did you know more than half. Of yeah. some of these things because it's, yeah. but it's the, would the government give him a jet to say, hey, here, play with this is the biggest issue? Or did he buy himself his own? You know, <laughs> there you <laughs> go.
1: He, he bought one that they were going to take out of commission and, and Just, I'm flying there. Oh,
0: Could you imagine? (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, this is the NerdWine Podcast, episode 103. Quick housekeeping before we jump into all of our fun things to review and talk about for the episode. Don't forget to subscribe to either our YouTube or podcasting service of your choice. If you enjoy the show, make sure you leave us a thumbs up on YouTube or give us a good rating for whatever podcasting app you use. If you don't enjoy what you see or hear, make sure you leave us a comment so know how we can fix it, how we can improve. If you got any show ideas, anything like that that can improve this show, can't fix it can't fix it, but we don't know if it's broken. So just let us know in the comments down below. If you want to do more, you can always go to patreon.com slash Three different tiers with three different monetary values. It's three, five, ten.
1: Three five ten. Nailed
0: yeah. it. Each tier has different things there. Three dollars you get the show early. Five dollars you get less know what to eat. Read and not eat. <laughs> read, eat, play, I mean. or watch. <laughs> um and the last one is free for all. You do whatever you want to with that one. Uh-
1: I will say this. Sometimes I need help making decisions on snacks or dinner mm. or whatever. So if someone does want to suggest things, I'm all in. <laughs> See, never hurts to try, ladies and gentlemen. As long as it's not moving.
0: Moving. Oh, God, I am not. Ugh, moving is the absolute worst. I refuse to do any more of that. Chris, how's your week been?
1: Uh, pretty good week, yeah. Um. Work was normal.
0: Mm. We had a real nice week here in Tennessee, like uh, weather-wise yeah. for the most part.
1: Yeah. It, uh, it got up to like, I think, 80? Yeah, it was like 78. And, and then, the... then the very next day, the high was 55.
0: Yeah, so, you know, normal Tennessee. Everyone's sinuses are all junked up and messed up everywhere. I'm surprised I haven't like got a scratchy throat or anything. I'm perfectly fine. Knock on this fake wood here, but still. Um, work went too crazy. Played a lot more Hogwarts Legacy, which it's going to take a back burner here come Tuesday because of Destiny's expansion launches. And uh, that's gonna be dangerous at times. That's, I you know, last year I asked off for a week because Destiny and Horizon Forbidden West came out the same exact day. Uh-huh. This year I did not do that, and I'm kicking myself for not doing that because I just really, that's all I wanted is play it, so. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see what happens because next week, my appearance might be, you know, real haggity, you know, my beard's growing out, eyes are black, and bloodshot and everything. You know, Ty, what's going on? Oh, I've been playing Destiny. Just, I can't stop. Got fired from my job for not showing up. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about some TV shows. Chris, have you watched anything this week?
1: Not TV-wise, no. Hmm. I mean, I, I watched our show, but.
0: Yeah. We watched the, been trying to catch up on America's Got Talent All-Stars. I swore off America's Got Talent because I think it's rigged. I think they already know who's going to win right off the rip. And just, it leaves me with a scummy feeling. But this is All-Stars, so it's kind of the best of the best. But I don't, I'm not the point, I don't really care who wins. It's just fun to see things from people from all over the world. And like from um, like Argentina's Got Talent. You know, like India's got talent, stuff like that. They have people that either won or quarterfinals, things like that. It's really cool. Um, I'm trying to still watch a Big Bang Theory. I'm in season five or six. Penny is still dating Leonard. Um, Oh, it's the one where uh, Raj has just met Lucy. Is
1: that her name? Yeah. Yeah.
0: They, They just had their first date. Actually, they're on their first date and they're texting in a library right now so yeah yeah is where i'm at so still loving it man that that show's still great i i really am kicking myself for not watching that one weekly because that is right up my alley but something we are watching weekly last of us episode six this one is titled i don't know what this one's title is
1: But, uh uh-oh,
0: it's a good one. They did put it in the article here. Uh, We're going back to TVLine.com by Kimberly Roots. Of course, full-on spoilers for The Last of Us. So if you have not seen this episode or if you're waiting or anything like that, skip ahead a little bit until we are out of the spoilers section. Mm -hmm. After a brief painful reminder of Henry's suicide, we cut to three months later in a solitary cabin in a snowy field. A man played by Graham Greene from Longmire returns from hunting and walks inside where his wife, who is Elaine Miles from Northern Exposure, is sitting in a chair. He puts down his bow and immediately hears a voice from behind the corner of the room and the gun too. It's Joel who's a menacing presence but not so menacing that Elaine didn't make him and Ellie with some soup uh, when she realized they were hungry. Joel is hoping they have information on Tommy, Tommy or his whereabouts, but all they can offer is advice to not travel past the river. They say, we've never seen who's out there, but we've seen the bodies they leave behind. Some infected, some not. If your brother's west of the river, he is gone. Um, I really enjoyed this, because of course this is not something from the game, but this is a very good look at uh, this couple. and I really enjoyed them, and I kind of wish we saw more of them, just because they were kind of a little bit of a comedic relief. But they also were like, eh, we don't care. Take what you want. And we're just out here living out in the middle of nowhere. So they were right. fun.
1: Yeah, um, it was uh Graham Green was the husband. too. Mm-hmm. He's, been, he's time, been in a uh, lot of things.
0: They put yeah. Longmire on here, but he's been in
1: a lot of shows. The Dances with wolves.
0: Dances with wolves. The wife I didn't really I didn't recognize from anything, but uh Graham Green is very recognizable. Uh, right after they leave, there's a moment where Joel is not okay. He needs he needs to lean against the fence as he normalizes, and the whole thing freaks out Ellie. Are you dying, she asks, panicked, but still funny, and she points out that his demise would mean I'm, I'm effed. Uh, he recovers and tells her that it was just a sudden onslaught of cold air in his lungs, which is 100% untrue, and they continue on. I was like, whatever they're doing and setting up, I like it, because like he's it looks like he's having panic attacks, which is essentially what he's having, um, which... I thought they were giving us a misdirect for the end of the episode, which I'll talk about once we get there. Um, but man, okay. Uh, that night, they camp in a cave near what Ellie has jokingly started calling the River of Death. <laughs> Their previously frosty relationship continues to thaw. He gives her a sip from his flask when she asks. She put, uh, she asks a question of the future if they don't part ways after the fireflies. For the record, he envisions himself possibly starting a sheep ranch. The They're quiet. They do what they're told. He he says. Um, she waxes rhapsodic about astronauts, which is very, very good for what happens in the second game, just for a moment. And yeah. I can't wait for that moment to happen. Uh, then, as we've seen happen before, Ellie's fear is resurfaced, though she tries to play it off. She says, it'll work right. She says, the vaccine. She admits that she tried to use her blood on Sam because I wanted to save him, but to no avail. After a beat, Joel reassures her that if Marlene says the Firefly's doctors can make a cure from what Ellie has to offer, they can do it. This, of course, is pure conjecture. But it's one of the first times that Joel glosses over a hard truth in order to make Ellie feel better and safer the way that dads will do. He tells her that uh, he'll take both watches so she can rest. But the next morning he realizes he's asleep and she guarded him all night. He said, what can I say? Uh, What can I say, man? I'm a natural, she proudly pronounces. Wake me up next time. He grumbles. Their long walk continues, they, discover, they discuss how she wants to learn to whistle and to hunt, but she makes a bad joke uh, when they pass a dam. But the pair's progress is interrupted by a group of people on horseback who suddenly threateningly surround them. Joel gets Ellie behind him and they both put up their hands in surrender as Joel shouts that they're just passing through. The leader has Ellie and Joel drop their weapons and separate so that a dog could sniff out cordyceps infection, literally sticking its nose in their business. The pooch clears Joel, but growls as it approaches Ellie, and Joel is about to implode from uh, from worry. You can actually see it playing out on Pedro's face when the animal starts playfully licking Ellie's face, causing her to giggle. Wonderful scene here, mm-hmm. like really, really, really well done. And it just—I thought that was Troy Baker, one of the guys, but that's not him. That was, no. I was—I was, I was even looking at the credits. I was like, "Oh, that looks like Troy," because everyone had their mask on. I was like, "That looks like Troy Baker's eyes and uh, hair," but I was incorrect. because Obviously, I don't know. as joel tries to calm down he says he's looking for his brother a woman from the group rides forward and asks for a name and pretty soon they're all joel and ellie included riding back to a gated settlement that houses what seems like a thriving and laid-back community known as jackson wait who is that bearded guy working on a construction project in the middle of the town tommy joel yells the brothers uh the brothers miller quickly approach each other ending with a desperate hug that nearly undoes joel uh, Tommy says, the F you doing here, uh, but he's clearly happy to see his sibling. Joel says, I came here to save you, as they laugh and embrace some more. Man, that was very touching, and just seeing uh, Gabriel Luna again, and I, I love that actor, and to see how, like, when he said, I'm here to save you, and clearly Tommy has been doing great for himself. And right. we find out why he was on the radio in a little bit. But it was it's very cool seeing the town of Jackson and seeing some familiar faces and some familiar uh locations from the second game in Jackson. So it was really, really cool to see it. And I thought they did a great job with it. Uh, while Ellie and Joel inhale a meal, she peppers Tommy and the woman who questioned them, whose name is Maria, uh, who's played by Ru- Rutna Wesley from True Blood, about why they nearly killed him, while they nearly killed them, and why there are more than a few bodies on the grounds outside the compound. Tommy dismisses it as all bark to keep them safe, even if that's not how those outside the walls perceive them. He says a bad reputation doesn't mean you're bad. Uh, and see, he adds, and Joel, author of I Do Bad Things because These Are Bad Times, looks slightly taken aback. We soon learn that Tommy Maria are married, news that both surprises and discomforts Joel. Uh, so during this little scene where they're there in the bar, they zoom in at a teenager hiding behind a pole in that little um, common area, which is, uh, it's been confirmed to be. The Ellie's love interest in the second game. I forget her name now, they it'll come back to me. But it was really, really, really subtle and really, really, really well done. I thought they did a great job with that. Outside, Maria and Tommy show off their little piece of post-apocalyptic heaven. Jackson has a school, a multi-faith house of worship, sewage, and water systems, and electricity, which they draw from the dam. The 300 residents share everything, including animals and greenhouses. Joel says, oh, uh, communism. Maria easily agrees that they live in a commune, and yeah, they're communists. And then she ferries uh, Ellie away so the brothers can talk. The Miller men go to the bar, which is empty, and catch up. Joel lets Tommy believe that Tess is still alive, saying that she's fine when he when is asked. He lines that Ellie is the daughter of some firefly mucky muck. Tom says that the base that they're looking for is at the University of Eastern Colorado, but the trip between there and Jackson is incredibly dangerous, so Joel asks him to come along, and Tommy says no. Aware that the subtext is rapidly becoming the text, Joel leaps into what's really going on. He said, those things I did, Tommy, those things you judge me for, I did those things to keep us alive. Tommy acknowledges that he took part in the violence in order to survive as well. He says, we murdered people, flat out, but now he thinks there were other ways. And in the fact that Maria is a few months pregnant and Tommy doesn't want to put himself in a situation that might cause him or be killed, Uh, Joel feels abandoned and lashes out when Tommy says he feels like he'll he'll be a good dad his older brother mutters a a nasty I guess we'll find out they argue a little bit more it gets ugly he says just because life stopped for you doesn't mean it has to stop for me Tommy says at one point eventually Joel says he and Ellie will leave the morning and he just takes off that was again a very good scene. Pedro Pascal has been wonderful this whole whole show And to see these moments and these actors really bickering like brothers do and and dealing with their PTSD and dealing with the trauma that they've had in these past 20 years and all come to a head. And Tommy's got a great life going for him. And all he wants is is Joel to say, okay, yeah, you're right. You stay here. Um, I'll come back, you know. But he's very bitter about it. And that's because they've lived two different lives in the past 20 years. So, yeah. Right outside the bar, Joel thinks he sees Sarah. It's obviously not her, just a girl girl who is reminiscent of her from behind. He has another episode that has him grabbing his chest and leaning on a pole, which he tries to breathe, uh, which has become a meme on uh, Twitter. I don't know if it's gone elsewhere in the world, but on Twitter, a lot of people are putting funny things on there uh, because it's just the three pictures. It's really funny. Uh, Tommy later finds Joel at the shoemaker's workshop and gives him a pair of new boots as he apologizes for what he said. I know you're happy for me, the younger Miller says, but Joel's already spinning at quite a clip. Uh, Tommy's, uh, so, okay, Well, there's a lot of you know, personalization in here. He confesses the truth about Ellie as well as Tessa's true fate. It, it was her dying wish, he says, what the hell is I supposed to do? As he talks, all of his big feelings about Ellie's having to save him from the ambush kid in Kansas City, come to the fore. Five years ago, I would have destroyed him, but she had to shoot him to save me 14 years old because I was too slow and too effing deaf to hear him coming. Joel is having a hard time, and accordingly, Pedro Pascal is killing both it and me, is what this, uh, on the author writes. He's nearing tears as he admits that the fear he's been coming up to, out of nowhere, my heart feels like it's going to stop. Also, he's having nightmares, which I lost something, I'm failing in my sleep, that's all I do, that's all I've ever done, is fail her again and again. And because of that, Joel is certain that he's going to get Ellie killed. He says, I have to leave her, Uh, asking Tommy to accompany the girl to the facility. It's the last thing I'll ever ask you. Though conflicted, Tommy does agree to this. All right, let's go back to what we're doing with Ellie, which I thought, again, was a very good part of the episode as well. Meanwhile, after a shower, Maria cuts Ellie's hair, and the women have an info exchange of their own. Maria was an assistant district attorney in Omaha, and her son Kevin was three when he died soon after outbreak day. Ellie sees a memorial in the house for Sarah and assumes that she's Maria's kid as well. But Maria corrects her that Sarah was Joel's. Ellie says, "I guess that explains him a little." Like, what a what a moment here! Like, because you have to remember that Joel does not tell anybody about Sarah, and right. her seeing this and coming to realization. And Bella Ramsey again, great actress. You can see it on her face—the realization of, "Oh, this is why he is the way he is, and why he treats me, why he's been treating me." Um, Maria is still snipping away when she gets to her point. Joel's past makes him dangerous and she's worried about Ellie's welfare. Ellie, who is already so loyal to Angry Dad, points out that Tommy did the same things, but Maria waves at office Tommy just following his brother. She says, "Be careful who you put your faith in. The only people who can betray us are the ones we trust. Afterward, while walking around town, Ellie overhears part of Joel and Tommy's conversation in the shoe workshop, and when he finds her back at the house, they'll, they'll share for the evening, Joel quickly realizes what's transpired. I'm not her, you know, Ellie says. Um, He says, no. He says, don't say that word. As they argue, she points out that he hasn't cornered the market on loss, but he disagrees. You have no idea what loss is, he barks. So she counters that everyone she's known has either died or left her. Everyone except for him. And because she'll be more scared with anyone other than him, she begs for him to stay the path with her but Joel is heart sick and looking for an exit. So he reverts to the form telling her that she is indeed not his daughter. And I sure as hell ain't your dad and come down. We're going our separate ways when he storms out and she's close to crying in that night. As Joel thinks about decorating the Christmas tree of Sarah, he cries a little too. Another one-to-one shot from the video game, like one-to-one and very like the same uh, hoodie. They were in the same outfits and saying the same things. And it was, it was to the point cause I, I knew this was coming up. When I saw her sitting there with a diary when it opens that scene up, and I told Jamie she was not ready for it. And man, it was, it still got me because it's such a powerful, and they were even saying, I think they're the post interview thing that they do, that this was the one thing that they were going to do one to one, exactly one to one. They said there was no scripting, there was no, nothing different. This was going to be exactly the video game because it's such a pivotal moment and such a, this is what people remember from the game, a big part of it. And so they said, we're doing this one-for-one, one, which hey, they killed it. Um, Tommy and Ellie arrive at the stable the next morning find Joel ready st- to steal a horse and leave. He's thought about things. He announces and he wants to give Ellie the chest, the choice of whom to. She says, let's go and King. she continue with Joel, even if she, he thinks she'd be safer with Tommy. Uh, Joel hugs Tommy and, uh, and gives him a gun. It makes clear that they were both welcome to Jackson and Joel and Ellie leave. Something has eased between the two of them, and the trip to Colorado is marked by a lightness that they haven't shared so much. He teaches her how to shoot the long gun. They talk about how he wanted to be a singer when he was a kid. Eventually, they arrive at the university, which, embla- which is emblazoned with the firefly graffiti, and find it abandoned except for the Tesla monkeys that are now running free on the grounds. Based on what they can glean that's been left behind, Joel thinks the group might be, have camped out in Salt Lake City. But their planning is interrupted by approach of four-armed men walking with a purpose. Ellie and Joel are almost to the horse when one of the guy's attacks. Joel breaks the man's neck, but not before the man stabs him in the torso with the ragged end of a baseball bat. The injury is so sudden that Joel doesn't even realize what's going on until Ellie starts at him stunned. Together they manage to get to the horse and Ellie shooting at the remaining men in order to keep them away. Joel and Ellie put some distance between them and the school, but then Joel falls off the horse too hard to go on. She goes, I don't know what the F I'm doing. She goes, I don't know what I'm going to do. The episode ends as she pleads with him to wake up. Excellent. Like absolutely excellent. Um, so I thought they were going to, because his injury is a big thing in the video game. Him getting stabbed right there uh, by one of this, these random guys. Um, and I thought they were setting up a heart attack from all these little things we were getting. So I was like, okay, they're not going to do a stabbing. They're going to do a, like a nice touching heart attack. And that's what's going to break it on. Nope. They did the video game thing. And I admit, it's, that is such a well done. Like It left us with a sense of dread I don't think we've had from an episode yet. If I'm trying to remember, maybe two or episode two or four, but we haven't been left with a, oh shit, what's next moment because like they're royally screwed at this point. It's, they're on the way to Salt Lake City. Ellie clearly doesn't know all this stuff and Joel is out of commission. We don't know if he's alive or dead. Um, The ones that play the video game obviously know what's coming up next and what's going to be so great about it. Um, But, but it it left on a cliffhanger and I don't think we've had that from uh, the show yet.
1: Yeah, um, I love the camera work. I mean, mm. a lot of these shots, if if you don't know, if you didn't know that it was from a video game, you would guess from some of the shots that, like, there's that overhead shot when they're at the river. Mm-hmm. And it just looks like a video game shot. You know, it's, it's they're doing such good work with the camera work, especially being out in the wilderness and showing us exactly, like, what they're going to have to traverse. right. Um, I thought, cause I caught a, I I just caught a glimpse of him at first. I thought the guy that attacked with the baseball bat was Troy. Mm. And and then when I got a good look, I was like, no, that's not, that.
0: I think so. But, we discovered when we were talking before, um, we started recording. that It's actually nine episodes and not 10 episodes of the last of us. So I think Troy is a part of a certain group that's coming up. And I'm pretty sure he'll be in episode eight because episode seven's tonight, which is the the flashback with Ellie, yeah. um, which I'm really excited about. But
1: and I did get a glimpse of the cast list of this one, so I know someone that's going to be in this mm-hmm. it's,
0: uh, from the game. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we'll we'll talk about that one next week though. But it's it's going to be a really good episode because I didn't play the Left Behind which is what episode seven is going to be, which is the Ellie story of essentially how she got bit the first time. Uh And so I'm coming, I know what the story is, but I've never seen it. And so what I'll probably do is I'll probably go back and at some point this week and just pull it up on my phone and listen to a slash watch it of the DLC to see what's, what's one to one, you know, what's different size of cuts. I enjoy that. Like this has almost got me wanting to buy the last of us remastered, which is still $70. And, to, just to play it because this is so good a lot of people what they're doing though it's really smart is they're playing the game with the show so like when the show ends that's when they'll stop playing and then each oh, yeah. after each episode they'll go and play more i was like oh that's really smart a really good way to do that um but yeah i wish i would have thought about that beforehand but you know i don't have time either and cetera, cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. right but this was one of their strongest episodes like just from commentary alone with these characters, Maria, the actress that played her, phenomenal. Like, mm. uh, the whole getting haircut scene was really good. Bella Ramsey, again, her face, uh, Pedro Pascal, his emotions on his face when he's talking about things. Uh, a really good episode. This one's right up there with me, uh, with I, top three so far.
1: I don't think, um, I don't think Ellie survives at the school there if it's Tommy with her i think it right. has to be Joel. tommy wouldn't i think he's he's settled down he's lost his edge yeah he's lost and, that
0: what makes it to to live and to survive and to go on yeah yeah cuz he's he's settled down he's a essentially a ranch hand now he's a leader of the community of jackson and mm-hmm. of the communism commune and <laughs> that's such a very good thing to put in there
1: he he, he started to push back on the communist remark mm-hmm. and then, but from Texas and then, yeah <laughs> and then his wife cuts him off and says oh that's what we are yeah, I mean
0: it, and it works and everyone in it's because it's Christmas time they've got a big Christmas tree in the middle and you can see and the, the extras did great in this uh, episode as well they're all happy like every time you see someone there's not someone you know downcast or anything and it was crazy is because you sent me this article earlier of how important the movie is that they show during the um, when they're doing the movie night, which another thing I, I might add was, why wasn't Maria or Tommy paying attention to where Ellie was? This whole during the movie night because she, I mean, show's right. she was right there in the middle, but she disappears, and especially with someone being new to your community, would you not want to kind of keep an eye on her? But I digress. Yeah. Whatever. Well, Tommy was in the having the conversation with Joel, but Maria should have been watching yeah. her or had someone watch her, but.
1: And Maria's uh pregnant.
0: Yes. Really, really exciting stuff. Man, I just I love the show. I say it every week. I know, broken record, but I think the these next three episodes, the left behind one I'm you know, wary of because I don't really know what's coming. I know what's coming, but not really what's coming. But episode eight, nine, that's we're running and we're not going to stop running. Because I think I know exactly how episode eight's going to end. And I obviously know how episode nine is going to end, but with that taking place in the whole first game. So buckle up and strap in, everybody, because it's going to get good.
1: Hello, buttercup.
0: All right, let me turn that one off. All right. And I have, speaking of some Last of Us news-ish, I've only one thing here that happened to TV this week. Megan Malay and Nick Offerman joined the final season of the um, Umbrella Academy. Of course, the last of us tie-in there was... Uh, Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. Yeah. I'm <laughs> going to Deadline.com by Benice Petsky. Nick Offerman, Megan Mullally, and David Cross have joined the cast of the fourth and final season of Netflix's superhero drama, The, Un- the Umbrella Academy. Real-life husband and wife Offerman Mullally will play doctors Jean and Jean Thebado. Of course, one is G-E-N-E, the other one is J-E-A-N. Uh, A married pair of community college professors from New Mexico who are sensible footwear and suffer from the most extreme case of deja vu this timeline has ever seen. Cross will play Cy Grossman, an upstanding shy business owner and family man desperate to reconnect with his estranged daughter who will stop at nothing to get her back. So, gonna be fun. I, I really like the Umbrella Academy. I hate that it's ending, but end on a high is what I say. Yeah. Releases this week, Wednesday, March 1st. The Mandalorian season four, I think is what it is, It starts up on Disney Plus. And hey, Pedro more. He, I'm telling you, he's ever since The Mandalorian, he's been killing it. Uh, yeah. there's been a TikTok trend meme going around with him and Nick Cage from one of their movies. And I'm just like, Pedro is just doing it all at this point. Let's and, and killing to be
1: it. Be fair, when we reviewed. Certain movie, mm-hmm. uh, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. He was the lone. Well, I'm not gonna say the lone bright spot, but he was one of. Yeah, the he kids. was one of the good ones.
0: <laughs> Life's good, but it could be better. So, <laughs> that is all we have for the TV news this week. There's really nothing crazy going on. So,
1: all right. Well, on to move A-Vays. Move. vase uh, have you watched anything else cuz I have
0: No, I just watched the the movie we watched this week, I think, right? Dude.
1: Yeah, that's it. I've, I've even got visual aids. A lot of my stuff's older than I watched. So first I watched um the Criterion release for Romeo and Juliet. Mm. 1968 starring Olivia Hussey and um yeah. It's uh classic I've you probably know. seen it at uh, some point in my life. It Probably in high school. Yeah. It, it made the news um, right around the time they announced the pre-order for this. Olivia Hussey and I always forget his name that played Romeo. Leonard Whiting. Um, have both come out and said that the scene that has a little bit of nudity mm-hmm. was done without their full consent because they, oh. well the thing is so it's funny because in england which they're both in british mm-hmm. but they filmed in italy and in both locations back then and now 16 is the age of consent mm. where it's here it's 18 yeah um and i think they were both 16 or older when the scene was shot it's just they were told by the director according to them that uh they would first be given body suits to wear. Mm -hmm. And then that was changed to, we're going to use a little bit of makeup and camera angles to keep anything from being seen. And Hmm. then it became, (laughs) but what's funny is in the years since the movie came out until now, every other interview that they've done was talking about how well, everything was handled on set with that, how it was necessary for the film so I don't know why the sudden change in story, but
0: probably legalities. Somewhere in the legalities happened,
1: <laughs> or because it dropped right about the time the pre-order dropped, they were just getting some free pub.
0: Food. Um, that makes sense. Maybe, yeah, maybe.
1: Any any on. press is, is good press. So it should be watched. Um, it's not going to be as popular with a lot of people as the DiCaprio Danes Romeo and Juliet that was directed by Baz Lorman. Who directed the Elvis movie. Yep.
0: I was about to say I recognize that name. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, speaking of Elvis, I also watched It Happened at the World's Fair hmm. with Elvis. Uh, I didn't watch it with Elvis. He's in the movie.
0: <laughs> Are you sure he didn't watch it with them? Yeah. Some yeah. say he's still alive.
1: And then <laughs> uh, I finished up the week uh, with a film called Made for Each Other. Jimmy Stewart, Carol Lombard. Hmm. Uh, they get married after one day of knowing each other and it's all about the struggles of the marriage
0: which I'm sure there are plenty <laughs>
1: yeah 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 so but all good movies um, I did give made for each other two and a half stars on Letterboxd because it's just there's not a lot of balancing out the story even in the beginning with a lot of laughter or anything mm. so it's very yeah but still a good movie Um, all right So, first up, we want to have our spoiler discussion for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. Is the spoiler tag up? It
0: is officially up and live.
1: All right. All right, so the main thing here is that all of our main characters survive. Yes. Yes. We thought we had gotten a misdirect from Michael Douglas going into the movie because he did some press where he said that uh, he would do a fourth movie as Hank Pym if they would kill the character off. Right. So we automatically were thinking, okay, maybe he dies in it. Mm-hmm. And it's just a misdirect, but he doesn't. He survives. Um, obviously, King's involved. We. That's not a spoiler. That was part of the... Yeah, it's the, all, all the trailers and everything. Yeah, but we do get Modoc. Uh,
0: and a lot of people, because they... Uh, a lot of people have put on... Um, well, Twitter, the, the Ant-Man tag and everything. They, they're releasing all the side characters' names and and movie posters for. And it still does not look that good.
1: But... now, So, I'm glad you brought those posters up. They don't put the character names on them.
0: Yeah. They, all they did was, they it was on the tweets. It said, introducing, yeah. hashtag, whatever. And I'm like, I didn't but even know the these characters d- had names besides the, the gooey dude. <laughs> yeah. The other ones, is was like, I didn't know they had names. <laughs>
1: the images themselves don't have a character name. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's counterproductive, kind of.
0: And th- this is what I was saying last week with it, of why I was you know, not so high on it. I thought it was fine, just a okay movie. But these side characters and their struggles and things that were going through, I just didn't care. Like they didn't do enough to make me care about these side characters.
1: Yeah. I feel like so at early in the film we see um we see Janet mm-hmm. in the quantum realm. She meets Kang. But he's not Kang yet. Yeah. He,
0: well, he's he's already the conqueror. He's, but she's she already know
1: that. conqueror. Yeah. Oh. She doesn't know that. And he, <clears throat> that would have been a good point at which to introduce us to someone from this group that we meet later.
0: Or you even have like you a know. little montage of both of them conquering. Certain communities and stuff like that. And we see these characters, right. but we we don't get any of that.
1: No. No, we've got, uh, and I can't remember, I looked it up at one point. Character's name that shoots the light. Uh, oh, well, I'll find it for you. He, um, It's a cool little character.
0: Yes, very menacing but, too.
1: But they never give you an attachment to him. Um, let me IMDB this up. I already have my Maverick plot loaded so I gotta let's see
0: there's Gentura. Oh. don't know who that one was. oh she was the main chick of the resistance Veeb oh I didn't else was David Dasmachian I did not know that who played Veeb
1: huh really
0: yeah he's in all of uh, James Gunn's stuff so Polka Dot Man
1: yeah, um, yeah.
0: Zolom maybe. No, Zolom was a, a different character. Listen, that's that's what I'm saying. Like the, nobody knows their names,
1: right? <laughs> um, anyway, oh, that's that's rough. Anyway, um, Catherine Newton did a really good job in this. As, as Cassie? Yes, as our new Cassie. Yeah, and she's she's driving the. She really drives the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, This is
0: setting up the Young Avengers.
1: Yeah. Which I wish they would just go ahead and fully acknowledge. Yeah,
0: give us a Um, a timetable on that one. Because every single property has a new Young Avenger
1: in it. Let's see. We have, um, was it humanoid? Humanoid, maybe? I don't know. Um, There really isn't a ton of... And we talked about this briefly before the the start of the um, recording. There's really not a ton of spoilery Mm -mm. stuff here. Uh, There's stuff that's spoilery for the film, but as far as important things moving forward, there's not. Now, they do defeat as much as you can in a comic book film. They defeat King. Yeah. Um well they we don't even the Post crows they say he's dead. So but yeah. is he really, you know No, he's not. We know he's not. Yeah. Um so it's 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 a very weird thing because it's it's basically telling an Ant Man story to kind of build like you said. We got some more set up for a Young Avengers team if they want it, which we think that's what they're working towards. Right. Um, the groundwork is there for this phase of the MCU, because okay. so we have Kang, who's officially been under... And I feel like those were the two things that they really wanted to do with the movie, and in the meantime, they told a little self-contained Ant-Man story. Which
0: do you th- I don't think will ever do anything with the Quantum Realm ever again. Like, I think that's it. That's what a lot of people are saying online. I was reading some people's reviews and stuff like that um, after last week's episode. And people are saying, like, we've heard for several movies now, might as well be four, because of Avengers Infinity War and Endgame about the quantum realm. And we've got, this is a story that they told and we're done with it. Like, the quantum realm is not going to be used anymore. And I'm like, I mean, as far as I can see, that's right I mean, at least for another. Unless we get another Ant Man movie down the line, this is. I don't see where we use the Quantum Realm ever again. Or these characters.
1: <laughs> so. I don't know. I, I could see Kang u- utilizing the Quantum Realm in some way mm-hmm. in the future. Maybe the Fantastic Four.
0: Oh, that'd be a good one. Fantastic Four somehow you know. so get introduced with that. Mm. They could
1: still utilize it there but i that's the thing the characters that they set up i don't know that there's anybody there that you you look at and go they're going to be a valuable part of the mcu right in this, this phase it's just they were there for a little story to be told and now they're done right um could i see them bringing them back for a number of them to come in and reinforce a group and help provide, you know, their uh, their expertise in battle, maybe. Right. But I don't know that it's going to be a big thing. I think if we see them again, those characters at all, maybe in a Disney Plus show. Uh, but yeah. where? But where do we get them? Yeah, what if, maybe... What yeah. if Kang conquered
0: like, the quantum realm or something like that?
1: Yeah,
0: I mean it was. I feel like the whole movie was just setting up King as our next big bad, was all it was. Yeah. And with the first post-credit scene where it's the Council of Kings coming together, which were a bunch of fun ones. Um, of course yeah. it zooms into the Coliseum and we we'll see He Who Remains from Loki, which was great. And then we got our, I think our our best. Um, Post credit in a long time with uh, Owen Wilson and Loki uh, uh, investigating another Kang. And I thought that was very well done because he was a magician or an electrician or something like that. And he said, "This is the one that reset." The wow, this is the one that reset everything. He's the big bad guy. Wow, you know. Um, yeah. But that was, was, I think that was very good because we haven't ever had something like that where it shows. Oh, this is what's coming out next, and it's so how it's connecting.
1: Um, yeah. in a hot minute. So it's been a while. Yeah. Which is crazy they, to me. <laughs> once end game was done, they kind of, they struggled.
0: Yeah. Phase four was not the best
1: to, to keep the narrative rolling. And, and, um, so yeah, to have a, to have a scene like that at the end of a, at the end of the credits where it's like, okay, yeah, we're really hyping you up mm-hmm. for something. Um, that was fun. Uh. And maybe, maybe, who knows, Loki sees the Quantum Realm again.
0: Oh, that's a good point, too.
1: Because, I mean, as I'm... you said, he, he who remains was there. Yeah. And we know he uh, he's probably a little upset with mm-hmm. Them Loki.
0: Splitting the timelines. Well, yeah. it's, it's something, too, with, I wonder, oh, because who the big bad guy of Loki is going to be. Is it going to be Kang? And we're continuing that story through Loki season two of, Hey, cause that's what they're kind of setting up with this post credit scene of we're still trying to chase down. He, who remains and they found a variant of him. So I'm, I'm curious if that's going to be the big point of it or, well, actually I'm sure it's Loki trying to get his timeline back after he calls all the splits which we did see in this movie of all the yeah. timeline splitting off and everything like that. So I thought it was
1: really cool. Yeah. I'm kind of curious if they'll take some of the more high profile or what they're going to make high profile variants of King mm-hmm. and drop them into some of these shows and movies. And it's like. And keep building him her up. Yeah. Which would keep, be awesome. Keep disposing of those variants and then. They're just working their way back towards.
0: Well, because oh, that'd be crazy, because you would have each hero dealing with a certain variant of a, a struggle and things like that. But it's not, you know, it's they're all hard, you know, individually. But together, you have the Council of Kings. It's going to be even more harder and more sinister than the one that they fought. Oh, that'd be really good. That's really smart, actually. I can see people be like, "Oh, we're just getting another variant of Kings. It's kind of boring." But the King, the King Dynasty, is the the next two adventure movies. So that mm, that'd be really good. I'm sitting there trying to think of what I was thinking of before, but the man, it's it was okay. Just an okay movie. It's my thoughts really hadn't changed on it a week later. But um right. trying to think if there's anything big we've missed for this one. Uh, no nope. just eight man's book comes out in september here in the real world if you want to buy it from scott lane <laughs> so.
1: and, and we should say that the the council of Kings, front and center was ramatut mhm so he's had a lot of interaction with the fantastic. in fact of course well i'm i'm not i'm not going to mention that because i don't know which direction they're going which direction marvel's going and there's a right. huge spoiler that they haven't talked about in the films of who king really is
0: right one of his so variants
1: if you know the comics you know the story mm-hmm. and uh we we'll just
0: don't know just, which way they're going to adapt it to
1: right yeah, I don't think we missed any other big plot points. I mean, all the heroes survive, um, which was, which
0: they almost misdirected us right there at the end with um, Hope and uh, uh, Ant Man staying in the quantum yeah. realm forever. Which again, why can't you just make yourself big and come out of it all? Right. So well, I, I've, I, anyways, that plot hole in my
1: eyes. <laughs> Unless maybe would that do something to the quantum realm that would.
0: I don't think so. I'd just be getting bigger to come out of it.
1: That would harm everybody there? Or...
0: Uh, who cares? We're, they're all unforgettable anyways. <laughs> We're not going to remember these people. All right.
1: <laughs> all right. Oh, man. Our main movie review for the week and a Best Picture nominee at this year's Oscars, Top Gun Maverick. Mm-hmm. Now, this is my first viewing. This was your second. second. So I'm going to run the plot down based on what's on uh, Wikipedia, and then we'll talk about it. Um, more than 30 years after graduating from Top Gun, United States Navy Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell is a test pilot. Despite many achievements, repeated insubordination has kept him from flag rank. His friend and former Top Gun rival, Admiral Tom Iceman Kazansky, now commander of the Pacific Fleet, often protects Maverick. Rear Admiral Chester Hammers Kane plans to cancel Maverick's hypersonic Dark Star Scramjet program in in favor of funding drones. To save the program, Maverick unilaterally changes the target speed for that day's test from Mach 9 to the final contract specification of Mach 10. However, the prototype is destroyed when he cannot resist pushing beyond Mach 10. Iceman again saves Maverick's career by assigning him to the Top Gun School at NAS North Island for his next assignment, but Kane tells Maverick that the era of crude fighter aircraft will soon be over. The Navy has been tasked with destroying an unsanctioned uranium enrichment plant located in an underground bunker at the end of a canyon before it becomes operational. It's defended by surface-to-air missiles, GPS jammers, and fifth-generation fighters, Su-57s, as well as older F-14 Tomcats. Maverick devises a plan employing two pairs of F-A-18EF Super Hornets armed with laser-guided bombs, but instead of participating in the strike, he's to train an elite group of Top Gun graduates assembled by Air Boss Vice Admiral, Vice Admiral Bose Cyclone Simpson. Played by John Hamm. Uh, Maverick dogfights his skeptical students and prevails in every contest, winning their respect. Lieutenants Jake Hangman Saracen and Bradley Rooster Bradshaw, son of Maverick's dead best friend, and Rio Nick Goose Bradshaw, clash. Rooster dislikes Hangman's cavalier attitude, while Hangman criticizes Rooster's cautious flying. Maverick reunites with former girlfriend Penny Benjamin, to whom he reveals he promised Rooster's dying mother that Rooster would not become a pilot. Rooster, unaware of the promise, angrily resents Maverick for dropping his Naval Academy application impeding his military career, and blames him for his father's death. Maverick is reluctant to further interfere with Rooster's career, but the alternative is to send him on the extremely dangerous mission. He tells his doubts to Iceman, who has terminal throat cancer. Iceman advises it's time to let go, and reassures them both the Navy and Rooster need Maverick. After Iceman dies, Cyclone removes Ma- Maverick as instructor, following a training incident in which an F-A-18-F is lost. Cyclone relaxes the mission parameters, so they're easier to execute, but make escape much more difficult. During Cyclone's announcement, Maverick makes an unauthorized flight through the course with That's his preferred so bad. Proving that it can be done, Cyclone reluctantly appoints Maverick as team leader. Maverick files the lead F/A-18, flies the lead F/A-18E, accompanied by Buddy Lazing F/A-18F, flown by Lieutenant Natasha Phoenix Trace and WSO Lieutenant Robert Bob Floyd. Rooster leads the second strike pair, which includes Lieutenant Ruben Payback Fitch and WSO Lieutenant Mickey Fanboy Garcia. The four jets launch from an aircraft carrier, and Tomahawk cruise missiles destroy the nearby airbase as they approach. The teams destroy the plant, but the Sams open fire during their escape. As anticipated, Rooster runs out of countermeasures, and Maverick sacrifices his plane to protect him. Believing Maverick to be dead, the others are ordered back to the carrier, but Rooster returns to find Maverick ejected and being targeted by an MI-24 attack helicopter. After, after destroying the gunship, Rooster is shot down by SAM and ejects. The two rendezvous and instill an F-14 from the damaged airbase. Maverick and Rooster destroy two intercepting SU-57s, but a third attacks as they run out of ammunition and countermeasures. Hangman arrives in time to shoot it down, and the planes return safely. Later Rooster helps Maverick work on his P-51 Mustang. Rooster looks at a photo of their mission's success pinned alongside a photo of his late father and a young Maverick as Penny and Maverick fly off in the P-51. Dude, and
0: uh, It's a great movie. Like even watching it the second time, cool. I was like, this is such a awesome, awesome movie. Yeah. And the fact that it's up for best, uh, best picture, it's going to be hard with, I mean, as far as our rankings go with it, this one's up there just because mm-hmm. of how well, like a lot of these moments are, especially the emotional moments. Um, seeing the old plane back from the first top gun when they were at the enemy base and they had to get out. and the, the quips going between the two about how old the instruments, how old the instruments were and things like that was really well done. Like the emotion was all there., um, you know, Rooster and Maverick didn't really confront each other until like the middle of the movie. And that tension was there. and it was really cool to to know what we know about Top Gun, and to see Rooster acting the way he is. Um, the bar scenes at the very beginning of the movie, where, um, what was that? Oh, I forgot what the rule was. If you forgot your wallet or something like that, you had to pay for the whole, no.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, there were three of them. It was, uh, if you put your cell phone on the bar.
0: Yep, if you disrespect the, the bartender. The
1: bartender. And then I think the other was your wallet.
0: Yeah, some about your wallet. And... Uh, he eventually has to pay for uh, Maverick has to pay for the whole bar and then gets thrown out of said bar um, at the very beginning too. I mean, I just, I really, this was a, I gave this one four stars the first time I watched it. The second time I wanted to give it four and a half stars, but I'm going to stay, stay true to, to what I put just because of how great this movie was. I loved them bringing uh, Val Kimmer back into it. It was really good to see him back. Um, John Helm, I hated his character at first, but he's your typical admiral, you know, that we stick to these rules and no ifs and buts about it. This movie is essentially a Star Wars story, if you think about it, blowing up the Death Star. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, this is what it is. I I really
1: enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was really. I I gave it four and a half stars yeah. out of five. So, um um. I I do have some trivia. Normally we don't do trivia about the films, Um, but there are some things here that I found very, very interesting. A lot of people know Tom Cruise does his own stunts, so that's what Mm -hmm. got me to even look. Um, They do note at the insistence of Tom Cruise, minimal green screen and CGI aerial shots exist in the film, and even the close-up cockpit shots were taken during real in-flight sequences. This meant much of the cast had to undergo extensive G-Force training sessions to withstand the physical demands of G-Force pressures during flights. They better pay them really well for that. <laughs> they all got to choose their own call signs. Oh, I didn't know that. Miles Teller chose Rooster because it was close to Goose. Yep,
0: okay. I don't even know so, why I didn't think about attaching that. <laughs>
1: uh, according to Miles Teller, three of the six new actors threw up every day of filming in the Jets. Uh, Yes, Uh, I would have as well. The actors playing the pilots not only had to film themselves turning the camera on and off, they also had to touch up their own makeup, adjust their lighting, and handle their own sound. Wow. Sometimes the director had to wait on the ground for hours for the actors to return with the footage. Adjustments would be made after viewing the footage, and the actors would have to go back up for another take.
0: Could you imagine that? That's horrible. (laughs) Uh, yeah, they need to um, win just on difficulty alone let's be honest here they need to win all this best picture for difficulty alone
1: <laughs> so it also knows Tom Cruise personally designed a three month aviation training course for the new actors to become ready to handle riding in an F-18 well
0: because I mean he's done it so
1: if anyone knows he does after extensive flight training and on the ground preparation actors joined professional pilots to hit the skies for 90 minutes at a time, a few times per day, and had to hit their marks, check lighting and makeup, remember their eye lines, and turn on the camera themselves while airborne. This meant Claudio Miranda, who relied on the sun as his primary light source, prepped each day by studying flight paths and weather patterns in order to set camera exposures before liftoff. With no live film feed to track on the ground, it made for some nervous waiting periods for Miranda." Um, He notes it got really nerve-wracking because it's really hard to predict. I had to set one exposure, basically, because we're not auto-exposing the cameras, and they're really specific. So I'd have to look 50 miles ahead where they're going and know the terrain, how deep they're going to go, and then set the exposure and hope on the way over there the weather doesn't change. Um,
0: Huh. I mean, that's, that's nuts to even think about. That
1: is unheard of. Yeah, it's. Oh, Miles Teller, Miles Teller really did learn how to play Great Balls of Fire on the piano. Um, also, a really good scene. Yeah. I. Yeah. John Hamm accepted his role without even reading the script. Um, there's. It's just there's some really interesting stuff about the filming of the of the movie and and how um, how they filmed everything and, and got got all that done it's it's just it's phenomenal check out IMDB's trivia section there's still a lot of really good trivia there I'm gonna have to do that
0: because that's and I was looking to see if So visual effects they got for uh, they're nominated for visual effects. Writing. Um, what's one other thing I had up here? because um, 'cause I'm trying to see what else like, I was hoping for like cinematography or whatever. But film editing is the other one. So I'm like that's all crazy that you would have to do that to get it. I mean, uh Tom Cruise. Kudos to that guy. He knows what he's doing. And he keeps the people around him that know what they're doing too. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah really really cool so there's that alright so next week we are going to be I, I gave my score right four, yes, and a half four and a half next week we are going to be double dipping we've got two movies left that we can watch via streaming because um, for some reason The Fablements has still not made it to streaming yet yeah, Steven Spielberg. What are you doing? because yeah. <laughs> um, that—that's one we really want to watch. And it's weird because I think it's out on disc already. That—that that sounds about right. Um, but we're gonna watch Triangle of Sadness and Tar. Uh, so that'll just leave us, I think, with Fablemans and, and
0: Avatar. and there's the. The other one, the all girls talk, something like that. Women talking. Women talking.
1: So yeah, so those will be the three that we did not make it to watch. One of those win. <laughs> uh,
0: hopefully, hopefully they don't win. <laughs>
1: we've we've seen some good ones though, and what we'll do is probably next week once we review these two, I guess we'll give our pick of what we think will mm-hmm. we'll win at that point. So, Notable news in film, Venom 3 is officially in pre-production per Tom Hardy. Yes! Sounds good.
0: <laughs> uh, so, I can't
1: wait. 2 was better than I thought it would be going in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means 3 is going to be excellent. I just... <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh man.
1: Uh, next up from Vulture.com, and let me see the byline here. Uh, Chris Lee, a Vulture senior reporter who covers Hollywood. He put that in there himself. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's good for you, I guess.
1: (laughs) The title of the article is a quote. Honestly, I equate it to human greed. Over President's Day weekend, Ant-Man and the Wasp: quantum mania stung with unexpected venom at the box office. I see what he did there. Surpassing financial expectations to arrive as 2023's first blockbuster movie, the superhero threequel pulled in $120 million in North America, a franchise high, and 37% improvement on the opening tally for 2018's Ant-Man and the Wasp grossing $241.3 million worldwide to become the third most lucrative title behind Black Panther and 2016's Deadpool to drop during the three-day late February release frame. Arguably more shocking, though, the $200 million Paul Rudd Evangeline Lilly two-hander, which also stars Jonathan Majors as subatomic megalomaniac Kang the Conqueror, Managed to put all those butts in seats despite emerging from a hive of some of the most negative buzz ever generated by a Marvel Studios property. Quantumania now stands as one of just two titles in the 31 movie MCU canon to rank rotten on the tomato meter, the other is 2021's Eternals. The film also earned a rare B cinema score from audiences. Bs generally are shaky, CinemaScore's founder has explained. Although many reviews fault Quantum Mania for omitting the low-key breeziness that distinguished the first two Ant-Man installments, critics hauled out their heaviest brick bats to lay into the movie's CGI and visual effects. I'm one of them. The UK's Observer derided Quantum Mania as an incoherent effects dump of a movie, and a Los Angeles Times review, Justin Cheng, took issue with the Quantum Realm's surreally designed yet gloppy-looking orange landscape. This isn't world building, he wrote. It's more like world barfing. And on Vulture Bilge Abiri pondered whether Director Peyton Reed and his creative cohort had grown bored whamming together Quantum ele- Mania's elaborate but listless psychedelic yet unoriginal visuals. Nothing seems to match. If you told me that the actors had been shot before the filmmakers decided what they would be looking at or interacting with, I'd believe you. Mm-hmm. Turns out critics aren't the only ones who feel the computer-generated imagery on quantum mania could have used a bit more fine-tuning. Some of the very VFX technicians and artists who created those sequences, who spoke with Vulture on condition of anonymity for fear of professional retaliation, agree that the film's CGI quality control measures were subpar. Two of the three people we interviewed admitted shortcuts were taken and said critical resources were diverted away to Black Panther Wakanda forever. The follow-up to 2018's $1.34 billion grossing Black Panther, which was in post-production around the same time as Mania, Several of the same effects houses worked on both films, creating competition for the most highly skilled visual effects workers. They don't need to do that ever again.
0: No. Ever again. That should no. You should always have your teams do one movie at a time and have the full force of the team working on it, or else you're going to get what we saw on both movies, period.
1: Yeah uh like previous criticism leveled at marvel by effects techs tired of being pix- i'm not going to go there <laughs> uh, and, and pursuing unionization these workers say the project was severely understaffed while facing an unrealistically short deadline to hit ant-man's long-established president's day bow the upshot a grueling slog uh, during which filmmakers and studio executives nitpicked and revised vast swaths of quantum mania without budgeting enough time to implement the changes, forcing VFX workers to toil as many as 80 hours a week for months. Mm-hmm. This was like That's crunch. Yeah, that's exactly this, what that is. This was like a second wave of what happened with James Cameron on Titanic, where the compositors were basically taking naps under the desk because there wasn't enough time between shifts to go back home, then come back, one of the techs said. Now the entirety of the industry that's been touched by Marvel is permanently seared, and that's what's causing the most burnout. Horrible. Um,
0: Absolutely horrible.
1: I was trying to look on down here and see if we want to... It does, they do talk to some people here where it's... Uh... But I don't know if we want to go through all that. Do you want me to...
0: I, I think it's fine. It's. Okay. That's the, the gist of it all. Like I don't, I don't understand why they would do it that this way. Like, why would you split your teams in two? I mean, yeah. it's, that's the That's the thing I had wrong with Black Panther too. Was the CGI and green screen effects or blue screen effects were terrible in that ending fight, like horrible. And then this one is like it. Like when they're, sitting, they're standing in the quantum realm, when they're doing anything, when they first get there. I was like, it was just like the trailers when we watched it. I was like, that does not look good. And I was hoping they would fix that before the movie came out, but obviously it did not. And here's the reason why. So, And Marvel, they're going to have to get better about that as we go forward because that, that's unacceptable.
1: Maybe what they need to do is start balancing projects that don't need as much CGI. Right. With do so that you can keep that... Without crunch. You Correct. Can keep
0: 80 hours a week is horrendous and should never be a thing. I don't care how much money you're throwing at people. Absolutely not. Right. And that's just disgusting. And it'd be different if it was one person saying this, but they had three different sources in this interview. And yeah. no, that's unacceptable.
1: So. Well, and it would be different if there was one person overseeing it who volunteered, I'm going to pull 80 a week. Right. And everybody else was still doing their 40. But for all those people to be taken away, and keep in mind, this was, this would have been over the holidays, mm-hmm. right? Or in the lead up to the holidays. So these people are 80 hours a week. They're not home with family. they oh, That just, so, Disgusting. not, not, not a good look. No. Uh, Mr. Feige. Yeah. On to other news. Steven Yoon has been cast in Thunderbolts in an unnamed role. Really
0: excited. He's yeah. a great actor and now he's gonna be in the MCU. Hopefully it's not just a throwaway role.
1: But we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I I'm trying to think Thunderbolts who he could I don't know. We'll yeah. we'll see. Um next up from Collider and Matt Vallee uh, Guy Ritchie says, Sherlock Holmes 3 depends on Robert Downey Jr. Um, I'm going to, let's see. Let me, what's going on? Why are they putting an ad on here? Dude, oh. it, it kills me. Yeah. I'll just rip down through the whole thing here. We've got writer-director Guy Ritchie is known for bringing a unique style and directorial approach to every film he's a part of. One of the projects he's most known for are the Sherlock Holmes films that he made in 2009 and 2011. Led by Robert Downey Jr., the film served as a new take on the storied and legendary detective from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and went on to have a strong box office performance with the first film ending its theatrical run at $524 million worldwide, a number eventually beaten by its sequel with a global take of $543.4 million. The two films also starred Jude Law as Dr. John Watson and Rachel McAdams as Irene Adler. With such a profitable series, it would only make sense to make a third film. And this is a topic that's been circulating for some time now. Collider's own Steven Weintraub had had the chance to sit down and talk to Richie about his upcoming film, Operation Fortune, Ruse de Gour, where the topic, I, I don't know, I probably. <laughs> that have, sounded good. <laughs> where the topic of a third Sherlock Holmes film came up. During the interview, Weintraub asked if a third outing will be made, or if that time has come and gone. Ritchie responded without a yes or a no on whether another film will be made, saying simply, Well, honestly, I left this up to Robert, meaning Robert Downey Jr. So Robert wanted to be in charge of this ball's in his court so he's in charge of the script he's in charge of the whole thing i've moonwalked out of that until there's a time for me to get involved no mm. so, not out of the know? picture not, <laughs> not, not, not out we know he's got time because he's no longer with marvel so. right
0: he's producing a bunch of things though like uh what's a sweet tooth on netflix him and his wife are yeah. producing yeah so yeah there's a chance, and we reviewed and I've already done those on this show. So
1: let's yeah, do a third one. I, I would love to see. What if he? What if he said, "Nah, I'm not coming back." But let's do something bigger with Henry Cavill. Oh, sure a lot.
0: Bring him back. Yeah, just say no more. Yeah, all I had to say was Henry. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, releases this week: Creed three in cinemas.
0: Never, I think I've seen one Rocky movie, and apparently all these Creed movies are really good. To, I know, I know. That's, I've only seen. I'm pretty sure it's only one I've seen,
1: but one of the newer uh, ones probably.
0: I don't think it was the f- second or third one, maybe, or four. Okay, it was. I know it was one of the early, early ones. Okay. Uh, but I've heard this this Creed series is just Chef's Kiss and. So I'm really excited about that. And uh, Jonathan Majors, of course, the bad guy in Creed Three, he's uh-huh. he's also like Pedro Pascal having a great year. Yeah. Um So video games, Chris, you play anything? Play anything
1: this week? This week, nothing but the normal stuff. I gave up some gaming time to watch the additional movies, so <laughs> I didn't really have a ton, ton there. I. I know that uh, next month we get the new MLB The Show. Yes, and on Game Pass. Yeah, and we're getting uh, also, if you're on PC or Mac, I think it's on some consoles maybe, Out of the Park Baseball 24 Mm. will drop, um, which is very in-depth. So I'm looking forward to both those. I
0: like it. I've been... Go ahead.
1: I'm debating if I can get it for a good price. I might try NBA 2K. Mm.
0: It's if you could get it for a good price. It's I haven't really touched it lately cuz of Hogwarts and Destiny ramping up, but
1: and see I thought about Hogwarts. The problem is I just don't I don't have a lot of time to yeah. play that, everything.
0: That that's where I'm coming at lately. Like my gaming time has gone way down than what it normally has and it's parts of not really being in the mindset to want to play anything, parts of not having time to play anything, it's all a bunch of, who knows really, uh, which all I've played this week was Hogwarts Legacy and I'm at like 26, 27 hours in on it, which brings in the only new story I've got for video games this week was Hogwarts Legacy has sold more than 12 million copies. I'm going to Forbes by Paul Tassy for this one. First official Hogwarts Legacy numbers are in. They're even higher than you might have predicted. While AAA, Harry Potter RPG has always been about to sell well, Hogwarts Legacy is putting up absolutely tremendous numbers for Warner Brothers. It's been announced that Hogwarts Legacy has sold 12 million copies in its first two weeks since launch, which, which translates to $850 million in revenue. It's easily the biggest launch for a WB game, which previously set records for Twitch concurrent viewers and near records for Steam single player games. It's hard to overstate just how impressive this is from a development team. Avalanche was mostly making licensed Disney games for the last two decades, with its last project being Cars 3. But they staffed up to to rise to the occasion of making Hogwarts Legacy a mega hit. For comparison's sake, Cyberpunk 2077 sold $13.7 in its first three weeks after launch. In theory, Hogwarts Legacy cannot just beat that mark, but it's likely to have a much healthier tail, given that Cyberpunk interest collapsed once bad word of mouth spread about the technical issues with the game so
1: yep i'm one of those people whose interest collapsed inside yes um
0: they also go say last year eventual game of the year winner Elden Ring sold 12 million copies but that was in 18 days not two weeks so Mm -hmm. and it's also just announced that it sold 20 million in its first year so crazy to think about and i see why because it's a a phenomenal game and a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot fun to play and like there's you don't have to do main quest. you can do a bunch of side things, which is what I've been doing, just kind of kill time. Because so if I don't want to do anything too time and extensive, I'll just like okay, I'm gonna hop in here and do some of these things and hop off. Uh, notable new releases this week. Destiny 2's expansion lightfall drops out everything but the switch, February 28th, which is just in two days. And then Wolong Fallen Dynasty for PC, PS5, Xbox Series 4, PS4, and Xbox One on March 3rd. It's also an Xbox Game Pass game if you're into the Dark Soulsy kind of stuff. It reminds me a lot of Neo, which is made by the same people. So if you're into that, that is the game to play and to download for free on Xbox Game Pass. But ladies and gentlemen, that has been this week's episode, episode 103 of the Nerdwide podcast. Still crazy to say anything over 100, honestly. Um, don't forget to share on all your favorite social media platforms and forget to rate your review on whatever podcasting service you use. Don't forget to subscribe on our YouTube channel as well. Social media, you can follow the NerdWide account at nerd underscore wide. You can follow me personally at ty underscore Haynes. And you can follow the Maverick at Chris at Mav 7 on Facebook, search it NerdWide Podcast, nerdwide.com, or NerdWide, and that search bar where the first thing that pops up, and one of those ways are the way you get news. If we miss a week, anything like that, that's the way you get all of our news if you're not subscribed to any of our services. As always, this has been this week's episode of the Nordwide Podcast. We're coming at you with a double feature for movies next week to finish off our Oscars nominees for Best Picture. So make sure you watch them and tune into our episode to see where we lie and where we are, our predictions are going to lie for Best uh, Picture uh, next week. We're going to sit down and talk about what we're going to do for the Oscars um, as an episode. So. Make sure you're tuning in to all of our socials and to next week's episode of the podcast and we'll talk about it there. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for watching and listening and we cannot wait to talk to you next week.
1: Later, guys.